to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We are here with an unnumbered episode because today we are doing a book club episode on the novel Herland. Is this a novel, by the way, or is this a novelette? It was short. I think it's considered a novel. Okay. Yeah, we'll call it a novel. It felt there, there's enough to it to say that. Um, we'll leave the distinctions up to the academics as usual. <laughs> anyway, we are the Brothers Book Club Podcast. We are here to usually rate, review, and recommend a book. Today's a little different. We're putting a bit of a twist on it. If you've seen one of our book club episodes before, you might already know the deal. If you haven't, this is what the deal is. This is a deep dive episode. So in the you know current 2020 terminology, this is a full spoiler cast we're going to be going deep into every detail of the book, holding nothing back. We'll be discussing every plot point, character detail. Well, surely we won't discuss everything, but you get the gist. It's all available to us. We'll be talking about any aspect of the text that intrigues us. And so if you have interest in reading the novel Herland, which is by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, uh, when was it published? 1915? Something It was serialized. So it was okay. A, yeah. Hundred year mark or so. If you have any interest in reading that work completely untainted by opinion or ideas, then probably you should turn this off now. It breaks my heart to say it. But if it doesn't bother you, if you're just looking for a recommendation and you're curious about it, it's a feminist novel. We're going to dig into it really deeply. Or if you've already read it, that would be, I mean, gosh, that's ideal. That's perfect. You're in the right place if that's the case. <laughs> Joining me today for the book club episode is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? Doing great. I mean, yeah, you can't not be doing great. This was an intriguing book, and I'm sure we'll have plenty to say and discuss. We're going to start off the book club, as we always do, with a fill-in-the-blank prompt. I'm going to pose it to you since you made the prompt. I'm curious to see what your answer will be, and then I'll, and then, you know, I'll let you turn the tables back on me. Um, so for this novel, Her Land, it is a utopian novel, which if that's a genre you're unfamiliar with, that is because our society in the last 20 years has basically deleted the utopian novel from history and has instead started producing dystopian novels and works at a truly astounding rate, especially yeah. in young adult fiction. Basically, there are no utopian works left and probably haven't been since like the mid-1900s or so, roughly. Yeah. Um we basically make exclusively dystopian stories now for reasons maybe we'll discuss briefly. But anyway, <laughs> Herland is a utopian novel that presumes that three adventurer, adventurers and kind of academic men, all men from America, go to a place in South America and they discover a civilization that is only women. It's like three million or so people. They have their own country. And uh, it's like an untouched land um, free from any men or male influence of any kind. So anyway, that's the premise. It's a utopia. Um, so the, the land that they discover is kind of pristine in some ways, maybe not in others. And so the question or the prompt that Amanda has here to start us off is, in order for society to be one significant step closer to being a utopia, blank must change. Uh, Amanda, I mean, please go, go ahead and enlighten us. If you <laughs> nail this one, we can just shut the pod down probably. You fixed it. You did it. <laughs> I will try. Um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so I'd say our our sense of community, which includes our sense our our self awareness, needs to yeah. change in order for okay. us to to finally reach like a, a perfect society. In what way am I unself aware in my community? Hit me with some. Give me some meat on that bone. So. One of the things, I, I don't know about you personally, I'm, I think that you're actually doing a great job since, you know, you're an educator and you're producing something that you enjoy, which is uh, talking about literature and stuff like sure. that. That's okay. all stuff that uh, I think enriches 
uh, okay. our, our yeah. culture and enriches um, our society in some way, but, but not all jobs do. And also the, right. the idea of like um, competition in order to uh, further our own gains rather than to the, the goal of, work and the goal of Uh a lot of people is to actually improve their own circumstances rather than to improve the circumstance of their community and by community i don't just mean you know their neighborhood or uh, anything i i mean like on a global level i'm thinking along the lines of like star trek when (laughs) (laughs) when like you know the federation right when all of the earth is there's no war there's no anything and there's it's just uh, everybody trying to work towards. Um, it does become weirdly like educational in a way, or it like, does. Um, or, or scientific in the sense of just curiosity for curiosity's sake, almost. Mm-hmm. It, I think people forget that Star Trek is kind of utopian in its premise. It's funny because the remake movies. Uh, by the way, I should say this now out myself i've never seen an episode of star trek literally ever i mean i know all about it i've literally never watched any of the shows but i've seen the reboot movies which seem to really pervert the whole premise of star trek in the first place which was like the whole premise of the originals right was like earth is a utopia so we're gonna go on space adventures and like try and learn stuff Right. Yeah. Not- yeah. Their whole, it wasn't about conquering or anything like that, which yeah, was a reflection yeah. of the utopian ideals um, for the Federation. I cannot believe that you've right. never seen Star Trek. I, I am know. completely I just flabbergasted. I, I don't. <laughs> it's fair. It's a fair reaction to have, honestly. I, I also, though, I came to my genre enjoyments, right? Like, I do really love science fiction and fantasy, just media of any sort. But I came to it kind of late and I was also mostly a fantasy person up through until probably like I think I discovered science fiction that felt to me rich and complex, like very late in high school, if not even just in college. Like in college, I started reading like Ursula Le Guin and Margaret Atwood stuff. Mm, Yeah. And that was like really hitting notes for me in college, like really striking on things that I thought were intriguing and um And that was kind of my biggest first foray. And also, frankly, so like when the Star Trek movies came out, especially that first reboot, I did go back with a friend and watch like one or two early episodes. And and the lack of CGI and stuff was off-putting enough to me. Again, I've that was at this point 10 years ago, right? College age. So maybe at this point I'd be more forgiving watching it. I I think I can accept more of the production value stuff because you know it's just of a time right a lot of that stuff is just it looks old because it's old what are you gonna do right and so at the time it was very off-putting to me and i just thought i would rather in like get deep into a series of books than this like kind of crappy looking show even though the show is like well written and interesting like again i there's nothing about the premise or the writing or anything that's off in star trek um at least that i you know from my limited exposure could tell i'm sure it has hits and misses but it was more of the just the look of the show to be honest oh man so did you like with the star wars reboots did you enjoy those where he just like put in a bunch um, of shit. Like. Yeah. Well, no, d- deeply no. But for I, this, this podcast has gone already way off, which I love. But no, my feelings about the newest trilogy are incredibly. Um, they're even not even that complex. Uh, I just really loved. I thought the first one was a fine reset. I thought the second one was fantastically bold. And I was like, hell yeah, Star Wars might do something cool. And then I thought the third one was a total train wreck. And it was like astoundingly 
bad, like in a way that I thought impossible from a franchise that's worth like a many billions of dollars. I yeah. was like staggered by how bad, not a, a bad is such an unuseful word, uh, how incoherent it was. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that is like an incoherently told thing they just did. Yeah. Anyway, so um, let me fill in this blank too, because I don't want to <laughs> dodge the, I don't want to dodge the prompt. Yeah. Um, though you're the, the communal ideals. I think the funny thing is the reason why I to keep, I want to keep this one that you put is I think it has no answer. And there's so many things in it that I, I don't want to give a really lame answer or something generic. Right. I also, and this will kind of lead us into some questions about the book itself, but I guess the book had me wondering at least a small amount if a utopia is even something to strive for because it it had such, the book was so stagnant, which I think is kind of the point with the utopia in that like, if, if something is truly utopian, then there's no strife, which is ideal, but also then it's very, it can be very static or it can feel static to, at least to people like us who have never lived in a utopia. So it's like, if we don't have that time to transition our lives and our like time and perceptions into utopia for, as an outsider, completely blinded, it almost seems like stagnant, uh, mm-hmm. boring would be a simple word. Um, so I don't even know if it's something worth aspiring to. Anyway, my answer is similar to yours though. Um, as a, as a, I was going to say former Marxist, uh, college Marxist. I don't even know if I can say former. Those, those ideals don't just die. They change. They've changed in me though. But, um, I, yeah, I would say relations that we have to, uh, work is a very broad answer, but I think that our notions of what labor has to be and what it should mean and mm-hmm. what its entire purpose or function in life, I think that would be a good one to start with. Um, I think at the core of that though, if I wanted to get a little more reductive or I guess some people say more broadly philosophical, the relation we have to competition and the, even in that even just begs the question of like the purpose of your life, the time you have alive would come up in that too. But I think if, if you wanted a concrete, like political actionable answer, it would have to be around labor stuff. I, I still, my brain is still very wrapped up in that, in those issues. And that's where my thinking goes when I think of like deep utopian changes or something like that. So uh, your competition answer strikes a chord with me too. And that's yeah. something that does come up directly in the novel. They, they discuss that not as much as I would have liked, but they do bring that up. I think that, that the I- Marxist ideals, um, as far as like the relationship to labor and, and the products that we create, it can kind of be tied to our sense of community as well. Right. So I think that sure. those two yeah. aspects are, are kind of hand in hand in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And industrialization brings is, has certainly dragged questions to the forefront of, of human activity that I think still don't have good answers or they don't, they don't have satisfying answers. Um, right. There's some answers, but um, that industrialization stuff doesn't come up in the novel too much. Let's jump into some specific questions about the book. Um, did you want to start with one? I know I just posed the fill in the blank to you. Do you have a question you want to ask me to start with? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so you were talking about like how sometimes the novel, like it felt a bit stagnant because it is utopian and, and one aspect of the society is that, uh, it it can feel like there is no, nothing interesting really happening. Um, right. Right. So what I wanted to know was, um, 
So we've been taught since elementary school that a story has to have some kind of conflict, right? We, you remember that yeah. like mountain graph thing, like with the conflict. To be fair, I taught level. that when I taught middle school. There even. you go. That's like even still, I could even see that sneaking its way into like a freshman English class or something. Oh, yeah. Like honestly, it's taught. Yeah, it's taught at all levels. It's and I mean that's like what it means to be uh, to have a good story, right? It's it's. It right. has to hit all those marks. So what did you think the main conflict of this novel is? What, what? So what I would plot. Yeah. My mine would be, there'd be twofold, I guess. And I can do it in the, in, in the uh, formalized academic way that you laid out, I think is fine. The most obvious one would be the, there are three men who adventure to this land on un, this untouched, undisturbed land. The main conflict would be them being stuck there because they're, they're not strictly speaking prisoners, but the the women of her land don't want them to leave either, and they do keep them there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, the most obvious conflict is like, okay, they're going to have to interact with these people and then eventually leave or stay, something like that. They have to decide to, you know, who, who knows, maybe there will be punishment, maybe not. Anyway, the other one, though, the, the more rich one, I think, in the story is, it's how do these three men adapt differently? And this is where I think the story becomes too, not, I hate the word predictable. Cause I think if you're reading a story, trying to predict things, I think that's like the worst way to read something. It's be, I find that so unengaging. It's, I don't know. Something about that terminology bothers me. It feels very like mystery box literature where it's like, this is a mystery. I'm just trying to figure out instead of like engaging with deeper themes and ideas mm-hmm. anyway. So I don't like that word, but it did feel the construction of it felt so blatant. Each character is basically an archetype. Right. The author is so obviously setting up. And so to me, the main conflict is I'm going to test these three kind of like male archetypes in a way Mm -hmm. up against this society. And here's how each of them fare. And here's how here's what we can learn about, I guess, men and women, broadly speaking, based on how these three male archetypes of a kind of uh, hold up. So I think that is the conflict that stood out to me. Did you notice a different one that intrigued you? It is. By our definitions, and again, in the last 20 or 30 years, the way we've used dystopian fiction, a reader, I think, will be just so shocked by the lack of stuff and action in this book. Yeah, although she does point out um, in one of her chapters, she mm-hmm. she makes the... Hold on, let me see if I can find it. Um, she makes the comment that it's not meant to be action-packed. Right, and, right. And by she, I mean... well. It's from the point of view of Van. So Van in chapter five um, actually states that, hold on one second, here it is. Um, If the people who read it, being the story, are not interested in these amazing women and their history, they will not be interested at all. It is no use for me to try to piece out this account with adventures. So yeah, yeah, it's like the, it's like the anti Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones premise. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a romping adventure in the in the same like sense in the good in the in the kind of like culturally way good and bad of like there's an exotic land with artifacts. It has that same kind of energy to it at the beginning anyway. Right. Um, like here's an untouched land that right. we, that we you know Americans can go uh, either pillage or explore. And but then it comes across like yeah, there's no chase sequences. You know, that's just not the type of story. It's a utopian story. It's pretty right. stayed although so i agree with the uh with the conflicts that you stated especially yeah. the um the internal conflicts with the men in particular terry and um the one that i thought was the one that um 
Gilman was trying to use to pull the reader through the entire novel was yeah. specifically um, Terry's um, antagonism toward these women and how right. it actually like culminated in their getting expelled from the society. Because from the very first uh, page, it says... This is written from memory, unfortunately. If I could have brought with me the material I so carefully prepared, this would be a very different story. So from the very first two lines in the book, we know that something right. has happened to where it's like he's been kicked out of this country. So you're wondering Even the whole then, time though, why. My question now, and again, this is, um, if you made it this far, I'm assuming you heard the premise. We're going to spoil everything here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What we're doing. But, like, but at the end, though, it wasn't... They didn't get kicked out like any. They could have stayed. It was him who had to go. I'm pretty right. sure that he didn't get to bring his materials because the women make it clear at the end they don't want anyone to know yet that they exist. Right. That's that was their conclusion. Is like the rest of the world sounds like such a chaotic shithole that I shouldn't use that expression since it, that's actually a politically charged term in our time. Never mind. <laughs> it's, I completely forgot about that until I said it out loud. But it, the, the rest of the world is such a chaotic mess, such an abyss of like anguish that like we don't want we might not want our society tainted by that yet so right. i think that's probably why they had to withhold all their materials because mm -hmm. i think that the main character and his uh then wife El eladora i think or ella eladora like yeah eladora um they could have stayed it was just terry who had to go who got exiled right like jeff stayed with his wife celis or celis um but yeah, no, I think it, Terry is clearly the antagonist if there is to be one in the story. Yeah. Well, he's also the man's man, the ultra masculine um, archetype. For sure. Yeah. Yes. Without, I mean, that's, and that's voiced not even implicitly, explicitly on many, many occasions. That's like explicitly his characterization. And I think, yeah, I mean, we'll get into the structure of it a little bit more, maybe in quotes, mm -hmm. but I couldn't help but wonder, like narratively speaking, she, she picked the middle of the road most reasonable person for the narrator and i right. just kept thinking like i'd rather hear terry's internal thoughts on this i don't like terry you know it wasn't mm -hmm. i didn't think terry was like a worthwhile um aspirational person but as a character he was by far rubbing up against the society the most so i don't know and, and even like jeff too it would have been like I, at times i thought like well he's clearly the one who's the most like sympathetic or given to the society that they found I would love his narration instead. It's like she purposefully chose the one who could go back and forth, which again, I think as a construction is just, was just uninteresting to me over time, but it was it, for the purposes of the story it came across very neutrally. I think. Well, Jeff too, I just wanted to quickly point out is still somebody who mm -hmm. is um, in a way condescending towards women, right? He feels that he's the, the gallant kind, right? right? But yeah. He, yeah the one in power which is why he can afford to be right. gallant and he has to protect which is when we see him talking to um Celis or Celis his his wife yeah. then then we see she's like what do you need to protect me from what are you talking about <laughs> yeah and it i mean by the ending his um his i was going to say subservience that's not quite right but his attitude is taken on uh the the worshipful almost a worshipful tone right uh, or worshiping tone yeah um here's a question i can throw at you then 
I want to change it up and get into some details of like the thematic content. Mm-hmm. What um, element of feminism? Because man, this is we said this up front. I think in, when I was summarizing, but this is just explicitly about feminism. Like direct. This is the whole novel. There's no. I wouldn't even say the novel has much commentary on anything else other than maybe some race stuff and imperialism, which we can get into. Yeah. Um, so anyway, if you're reading this, not interested in feminism, I have no clue why you would read this book because it is. <laughs> It is the content of the book. Anyway, um, (laughs) what what element of feminism did you find most foreign? And then which did you find most familiar just in terms of, I don't know, where we're at in 2020? Um, In a lot of the feminist literature that I've read before, it is, uh, especially from the older feminist viewpoint, where it's a lot of like anti-male um, especially the this the stereotypical male, right? So she yeah. makes a lot of comments about uh, what masculinity is, and also she does point out the um, the idea that female identity, specifically the sense of femininity, is molded by the male perspective as well. So that's sure. something that has been very familiar to me in in my studies of uh, feminism and stuff like that. Um, Something that was not as familiar for me was perhaps I, I guess it would have to be the idea of um, just completely cutting out men, right? Like I know that like mm-hmm. there are other novels where they, you know, there are no men and, and women are, you know, happy and all that other stuff. But like it was, it was, they cut out men and they also seem to cut out just sexuality completely um yeah that, which that i was, was going to be my answer i yeah. think that that in combination with the this is granted this next thing is like a literal one sentence moment but it still jumped out to me so aggressively because of how foreign it would sound to a 2020 if you're a self-described feminist this is going to like shock you mm-hmm. and if you're listening to this and you're not i that's intriguing i guess too um dive in and etc but the there's like a direct anti-abortion line in this book, yeah. and I, when I read it, I was like, "Holy shit, man!" Like that is <laughs> if you if you're talking about like concrete, actionable feminist like desires of 2020, like making sure abortion rights are saved is probably the number one issue, maybe mm-hmm. politically at least directly. And so seeing that in there was shocking. I was like, "Wow, okay, yeah, that's that would." strike i think a current feminist is extremely foreign an idea yeah that was when i read that line too i was just like oh oh okay (laughs) that to be fair in terms of the story's world uh it makes a lot of sense actually it made a ton of sense i in fact you could see it coming but it just i think that if you're if you're considering this text a foundation of, you know, if you're like, I'm going to be a feminist today and this is going to be my foundational text, like that would be something you'd have to kind of grapple with or explain or something, you know, right. especially if you're going to connect it to current day events or current issues. Right. Right. Well, that that whole the the abortion versus the, um, the pro-life people like it's a lot of that is tied into religion and, and actually Charlotte Perkins Gilman, she like attacks mm-hmm. Christianity as a patriarchal uh, yeah. institution as well. So, which is not a new concept either. And she, she deifies motherhood. So it's motherhood is the religion, right? So right. yeah, it does make sense to be anti-abortion in the book, but also it's like, 
uh, women's rights though it's their bodies and she makes an argument for like it you is their bodies and they can choose when they um yeah. have their children yeah. and they they had the control over the men like nope we're not gonna have sexual relations until we are you know actually trying for children like when i'm ovulating then we can try like there's right the the idea of like sex is purely for um procreation and even then like because these are all women <laughs> right they don't even right. have to right. like there's zero there's no mention of any kind of um intimate relationships between the women either there's no there's nothing there yeah there's no there's no presentation of of sex life in the yeah. novel or whatever the, I'm sure there's an academic term I didn't draw out of my mind just then. But yeah, there's no sexual activity directly mentioned, and it seems purposefully avoided. Yeah. Um, which I guess could get back to the, if you're talking about, I mean, let's just look at the lens of literature here, or even just you know, films too. Is there any more inciting thing to conflict in stories than like sexual things, desire, passion, con- you know, tr- romantic triangles, that kind of like that again is so foundational in, in a sense to our literature and literary history that it's just if you remove that, like maybe that is how we get to utopia. And then the question is begged of like, is that worth it then? Like, is that right. do you do you trade your entire sexual identity for a utopian uh, existence anyway. Bigger question for later, I suppose. Yeah. Did you find then, because um, I do want to get into some quotes, I don't know, sometime soon, though I'm happy with where we've gone. Did the did reading this and finishing it motivate you to read the sequel? Because it does seem that this, again, it was a pretty brief novel, and I could almost imagine that if you just mash this together with the sequel, which is when the two of the male characters and one of their wives go back to America... I could see that just being considered a novel. At that point, it would be probably, you know, a 300 page, what we would consider maybe like a regular length book. Right. Um, did, it, did it motivate you to try the sequel? Were you that hooked? I do want to read it, actually. I Well, I'm just a fan of Parkins Gilman, but also I, I would yeah. like to see um, from his refreshed eyes, right, what his society is like. So that would yeah. be more of like, um, instead of a utopian novel, I feel like that novel would have a lot more conflict in it. So sure, it would sure. be more um, a little different. But I was reading some reviews on it and it was like, meh. <laughs> like, yeah. we'll review yeah. we're, not, we're not as big a fan as Herland. Like they, they thought that Herland oh. was better written. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah I was... My feeling coming out of it too was that I really because I I purchased for like a dollar or something on my on the Kindle. Um, I purchased I think three of her novels came as like a package, including Ooh. the sequel. So I mean I already have it queued up. I think I'll probably read the first chapter and see what she does with the storyline and the characters and such. Yeah. I I agree. I and again this could get back to our perverse turns toward dystopia in the past like thirty years societally <laughs> or whatever. But yeah, I just couldn't help but think. Every question in the novel that the men posed was answered in the most reason. And and they go out of their way to say every time, like, these people were so reasonable and logical and calm and wise. And it just, you become just like almost put to sleep by that description. And, you know, she she does it artfully and in a hundred different ways. But that's basically the resolution to everything they talk about is, oh, man, these are the these couldn't be more logical and sensible and empathetic, sympathetic, and they understood everything and they're wise. And I just couldn't, a very perverse part of me is like, let's take one of those people and like throw them in our chaotic 
trash dumpster fire world. Like I would like let's let's find out then what happens when they're like this is a tenement building and there's really impoverished people here and you know this is high society party and this is how you get treated by other people and anyway this is what competition is a concept that they literally don't have. Yeah. Um, well, they they compete in in ways that are not the same. Right? She makes the comment that they compete is just not it's not aggressive competition. Right. Right. And and even then, the there's no stakes to losing, so right. to speak. Right. Like their professions are guaranteed, even if one of them is superior in the profession or for just as an economic example. But yeah, like in the story, even if one of them is not the best forester, they're guaranteed to be a forester. It's just right. they'll send them somewhere else or whatever. They'll get a different job. Um, did you have any other questions? Anything, you know, curious? Yeah, you sure. Ask? Um, but I, I did want to point out for you real quick. Um, one of the things that I read about with our land, uh, one of the criticisms was that like her racism like, really shows in that book apparently <laughs> and, I, and it was and it was peeking out in this one and i think i remember yeah well this is a, a preview of the very end of this pod where we do some um we draw on some other sources one of the academic sources i read pulled a quote from her land and it's explicitly just racist it's like <laughs> you're mixing too many peoples that that's like the main character's conclusion or not make it but the 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 woman from her land um what was it again elora elador Elidor. Uh, she's just like explicitly says like, there's too many people here. Like you can't do this. You can't mix peoples this way. And yeah. so, yeah, that, I mean, that, that quote is as explicit as it gets from a character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she also makes, makes a point of saying like, yeah, these, the, the women of her land, even though they are like in a savage land, they're obviously not savages because they come from an Aryan stock. Yes, direct quote from this book that they are that they are of an Aryan lineage. Yeah. Again, in 2020, couldn't pick a could not pick a phrasing r- more rough than that shit. That is like as rough as it gets. Um, yeah, I you know is a, I don't think books need to be thought of this way. But part of how I compartmentalize that kind of stuff when I read is like, what percentage of this book has these ideas? It is a pretty small percentage. So if you if you measure a book that way, I don't think that is like a barrier of entry to reading this novel yeah but it comes up explicitly again it you know it's probably like of all the of all the ideas in this book race lineage is like 10 percent or five i don't you know it's like it's not a i wouldn't say it's a dominant theme but it is an explanation for the purity of their and like the success of their utopia so it can't be ignored it's like directly given as a reason yeah it is one of the it's the starting reason right like they completely right. destroyed i mean they have a, a new mother and it's it everybody comes from one parent so it right. is very right. much like yeah you need to be from one particular lineage in order to be successful as a utopia right so, right yeah. <laughs> let's dig into some quotes then i'm yeah. gonna start off with one i think because you just brought up the idea and we mentioned this a minute or two ago too that motherhood is the core concept of their society it is how their utopia functions it is religious like and so i have a quote about that that we can start off with here to dig into some of the syntax this is when we celebrate the syntax and maybe critique it some of the style and rhetorical things that were in the work um, this one, I also, by the way, because I read this on iPad, I have no page number references. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know where this is from, um, but it from somewhere in the book. Uh, the quote is: 
There you have it. You see, they were mothers, not in our sense of helpless, involuntary fecundity, forced to fill and overfill the land, every land, and then see their children suffer, sin, and die, fighting horribly with one another. But in the sense of the conscious makers of people, mother love with them was not a brute passion, a mere instinct, a wholly personal feeling. It was a religion. And I think that quote maybe is the world building quote of the entire story in a sense. I think it Mm kind of sets up, I think it it was earlier ish in the story, but it, it really underscores how their society and how this utopia is conceived of. Right. And so, you know, we mentioned this earlier, but when you get to that commentary on abortion, then I don't, I don't think it shocks. I mean, it shocked me just contextually me bringing in my 2020 brain of like, here's what our current event things are and here's what's relevant. But in terms of the, the sensibility of the storytelling, it makes a lot of sense that that's how they would respond because they believe motherhood is the most sacred thing you can choose to do. It is the, the foundational, um, again, almost worship like activity, worship activity. So yeah, I think that, that quote jumps out as just like the foundation of the, of the utopia. I agree. It's um, it's a huge aspect of their sense of importance and their sense of like right. industry, right? It's they all work for the children. Everything is done for the children. So that ties in with yeah. with the um, your idea that we need to change um, our some of our ideas about labor and and the sense of community as well. And I do just um, to hop on to some style things. I, I think most of it's well written. We Amanda and I had done a pod. We should have mentioned this earlier. That's uh, as the as the somewhat host. This, this is my bad. <laughs> um, the reason that we were motivated to do this pod was because we had reviewed a Charlotte Perkins Gilman collection of short stories, including the yellow wallpaper, which we both really loved. And so we just wanted to explore more of her work. Anyway, so stylistically, I think she. This is still mostly well written though at times it suffers from like te- what I call textbook fatigue where it's like, man, this could just be a sociology textbook or something. Like I don't, I don't, again, sometimes with these really dense, you could call them philosophical or sociological type of novels. Like, I don't know why this had to be a novel in a sense where it's like you could have just published your ideas about sociology or psychology or whatever. But that, that I like that list in the middle, the force to fill and then overfill the land, every land mm-hmm. and see their children suffer sin and die is um, yeah. It just, it's a brutal little filler in the middle of that sentence that I enjoyed in the, in the grim, in the grim way. It's a yeah. heavy contrast. Yeah. I agree that her style still, I think shines through in this Mm -hmm. reading and actually like i I mentioned it earlier in the pod but the this was originally uh written as pieces in a magazine and then it wasn't until after she died that it was like compiled into an actual novel okay Um, so i think that's why like i don't know whether you had chapters in your yes okay it had 12 chapters so the chapters each chapter you'll notice like kind of like focuses on a different aspect of of their society. So I think that was part of the serialization through the magazines. Um, Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. How about you? Any quotes jump out? Let's let's keep some more going. Yeah. Um, So there's a couple of things, but (laughs) uh, one of the things that I noticed was um, when I was reading it, you know, we were reading it because we, we love the yellow wallpaper so much, but there was one right. part, there was one little paragraph and, and they are mostly just little paragraphs, which is one of the things that we enjoyed about uh, Gilman's style, especially it's after true. we had read um, 
Flaubert, right? <laughs> Who wrote like yeah, super it, long it, paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, and I will say then, it, to her credit, I think for um, if you're listening to this as sort of like looking for a recommendation, it's very accessible for something 100 years old. I mean, granted, that's like nearing modernism and all that stuff is pretty readable, to be honest. It's, yeah. it's when you get like into the early 1800s that you start to hit real snags of like, wow, we just don't make sentences this way anymore, do we? Um, so th- but this is very readable, like extremely so. Yeah, it's it's short to the point. She's not somebody, she's not like Dickens who like right. just goes on forever about one particular detail. She gets her point yeah. across and she moves on. Like she's, I think she's an amazing writer. Um, so one of the sections actually made me think specifically of the yellow wallpaper. Um, and it was on page 34 in my my copy. Uh, it yeah. says, from our end window that faced the point of the prominent promontory, we could get a fair idea of the stretch of wall and the drop below. Also from the roof, we could make out more and even in one place glimpse a sort of path below the wall. So this made me think of in the yellow wallpaper when she's looking out her window. Right. So she, right, yeah. she and these three guys are kind of like voluntarily trapped almost in their houses right they're free to like wander kind of right and they're not prisoners she's not technically a prisoner she can wander but they're like stuck in these rooms looking out at this world that technically they can be a part of but they're like somehow kept from it and the idea the path in particular for both the yellow wallpaper and for this novel is the path out of their imprisonment so i thought that was yeah, an interesting I, comparison i'd pose this question to you to follow up on something specific you just said can they ever access it do you think i mean is that i i wonder what the novel presents i guess like jeff in a sense does that's kind of his role is like to be the person who fully into tries to fully integrate into their society and really finds enjoyment or peace in it mm-hmm. but i do wonder it's almost like it underscores the utopian kind of like stagnation of the book that that idea because like while they're prisoners it's like very peaceful prison or it's a uh, very comfortable right. it's not excessively nice but it's also not a punishment either except for the lack of freedom right uh, which we can thematically get into too right uh, and so yeah I, I just wonder it's an interesting way that you phrase it and I, it made me wonder like gosh I want you know in terms of what the novel presents I think it wants you to believe, that integration is maybe, maybe impossible, mm-hmm. maybe slightly impossible. I don't know. I'm not sure where you come down on that. Yeah. I think, I think that was kind of the point at the end is that in order for there to be actual integration, it would be like, they would have to come, men would have to completely drop any uh, sense of their, their sex and their gender. Yeah. Yeah, I think too. Let's get into then. I have a quote I want to discuss about the how the society is portrayed and sort of the interesting parts or maybe lack of interesting parts of it. Um, but I think that it's pretty. It's a pretty rich text. I'm sure people can draw a lot out of it if they want to. The this quote describes the only negative person in their society that I recall, and it said. Um, if the girl, and I think this is a hypothetical, I don't even know if they're discussing a real person. They're just asking the women about what happens if somebody if um, is not fit for something. motherhood. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they're temperamentally unfit. Yeah. The quote says, if the girl showing the bad qualities had still the power to appreciate social duty, we appealed to her by that to renounce her motherhood. 
Some of the few worst types were fortunately unable to reproduce. But if the fault was in disproportionate egotism, then the girl was sure that she had the right to have children, even if hers would be better than others. I can see that, I said. And then she would be likely to rear them in the same spirit. That we never allowed, answered Samel quietly. It's, I think this aspect is interesting. And again, this is maybe just my craving for conflict or not dystopian things, but like some kind of complexity in the society. Because when you're presenting a utopia, it seems at times like overly simple. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the point, though. Maybe utopias should be simple. But it just seems like they don't. That's a detail where it would be like, give me the history of that, please. Like, who's the last person and how did you deem them temperamentally unfit? Do you have a do you have a uh, do you give them a survey? Do you, do you have <laughs> notes? These, these are diligent, like intelligent note takers. Do you have excessive? Have you studied? Do you have like a file on her? Do you just you know, is it observational? When do you decide at what age, you know, and, and how do you allow for change or do you not allow for change? Right. And so. And, and I think her answer within the story is basically just, well, this society is so many thousands of years old and has never is pretty much unflinchingly the same or, or, or its progression is so linear and perfect. Right. That it's like we've ironed the time has ironed this out, basically. And, right. and frankly, we, we've mentioned this idea already, but it's like maybe the, the race purity stuff comes in there, too. Or in her case, I think like gender purity thing, motherhood purity. It's like that stuff just irons itself out with time, I guess, is her answer. It's like genetically, these things are innate and therefore it's just it's solved. We don't have to worry about it. But even her just mentioning that and they're saying that she she got quiet, right? This These like normally pretty even keel people, like she seems somewhat affected. Give me give me that. Like just narrative story wise, like it, to make the story interesting to me. I would love more of that, but the story doesn't have it. It just kind of casts it off. Right. And I think like it, it, the way that she said the quietly afterwards, it seems like she must know someone. Yeah. Or something. Right? Yeah. But yeah, the point of it was to say that like, even if there is some kind of uh, proclivity towards like badness and this, and the things that are bad in their society aren't even like criminal anymore. Right. Um, no, but yeah. they would use the education, right. Cause education is just like their foundation for everything. And that's how they, make sure that everybody is in line with their views is the, they would just educate the child because it's a communal education. Like that person, that mother, even if she has the bad traits, the, the child would not necessarily have them because they would educate her to not be like that. Yeah. They would be overwhelmed by the communal like traits. And And so instead of, you know, instead of like being reared and nurtured by like one person, very isolated way. Um, I was about to say something that, and then I realized that I literally am talking to you, a, a mother. So I can just, <laughs> I was about to say a generalization. And then I was like, why would I say this? I can just ask you, do you, do you find, um, now granted, I guess, you know, communities are so different and, and families, people, whatever, but I can still pose it to you. At least I have a, a literal expert on the line. Do you find motherhood isolating? It seems like it can be like desperately isolating. Uh, in some ways it can be. I'm I'm really lucky in that my next door neighbor is a mother of two and her youngest mm-hmm. is yeah. around the same age as Viola. Um, but especially when they're first born and if you are breastfeeding and you're not um, doing formula, it's like the baby is stuck to you all day. Like I right, right. was not attached to my daughter for like the first year of her life because 
that's what I was doing is like, I was her food. I was her comfort. I was her, I was her everything. Right. I was her diaper changer and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it can feel, it's weird because like, you're not isolated because you have this, this child who is like relying on you for everything. But at the same time, it's like adult, isolation like I even though you know my husband's great and everything and he would he worked hard to try to like feed her occasionally like whenever she would right right. you know when we started trying to to pump and stuff like that but it's it's still like during the day because I'm also a stay-at-home mom um so it's like well (laughs) I guess uh, I'll just talk to my daughter (laughs) and her in her um and I do, I do want to ground this back in the text, but like that, all of that is very instructive to say everything you just described would not exist in there in this utopian place. Like, right. like literally they could, it seems, it seems like granted they never get into like breastfeeding, but it seems like it would almost be to the point of like, you can just pass her off. Like literally it, it just, and you know, if you need, I think they said like for the first year, it's pretty close. Like they keep them with them for the first year, right. but also that they have people constantly communally on hand to just kind of address whatever need might arise or yeah. to jump in and, and do and like help and, out with whatever. Yeah. yeah. Assist with the child rearing and stuff. I'll also say, and, and this is um, again, me observing friends having kids and certain like age things, but you notice how they very conveniently in the story or should they, uh, she, the author very conveniently describes like right after birth. So it's like, okay, you get to nurse your child for that year. You notice how then they jump them to about age 11. She never describes the really shit years. Like, yeah, and 11, <laughs> we know that a one-year-old can't do anything except eat and poop and sleep. So it's like, okay, we, we get that. I, you know, it's like, those are miserable years because you can't sleep well and the baby, you know, you can't reason with a, with a infant. Yeah. Um, and then like when they're 11, that's at an age where like you can't fully reason with them, but you can for sure have fun with them and they're thinking and they're exploring and they're, they've got personality, yada, yada. Like the really shit years, they just completely skip over. Like show me a two-year-old in this society, please, please. Yeah. And again, maybe that's just me desperate for conflict or some, some, maybe that's on me, but <laughs> I just couldn't help but read this. It felt very papered over a lot of the, I'm just thinking of like current child rearing motherhood struggles. Again, I'm not a mother, but it's just like, I think about those things and the story just papers over too many of those things for me, I think. Well, I wasn't too surprised by that. Um, Like the, the really young years, like, so yeah, she made the the comment that the first year, of course, it's the, the babies with the mother the entire time. Right. right. Cause that's, that's the bonding and it's also the, the feeding and, and the survival after yeah. that um, before the formal education, there's still things that you can do with children to, she takes a very, I don't know if you noticed it, but it's, it's very Montessori, right? As I was, far yeah, as, I was yeah. just going to say, it's like, let them do. Yeah. And that's how they end up becoming a forester. Right. Cause it's yeah. like, I just touched a butterfly one day and thought, cool. What is that? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's entirely curiosity driven. Which, which begins at a very young age. So like Montessori, the theories that Montessori came up with, Maria Montessori right. came up with, were actually uh, like, you can start educating, not formally educating necessarily, but you start educating right. your child uh from birth like as far as their movements Mm -hmm. and stuff like that that's all educational because they learn through touch at the beginning so of course even from a very young age i feel like because she was so obviously like in support of the montessori theory uh, even from a very young age like when you're 
between the ages of two and 11, you're still like, you give them blocks, right? Like Viola right now, my daughter, she's, uh, if I give her magnets and like, I'm starting to show her how to spell her name and I'm showing her the ABCs and she can count to 10 Mm -hmm. now and all that stuff just from being able to move things around. And she's, yeah, no. and she's not even two yet. So it's like, yeah, they, they learn pretty quickly at, at a young not, age. Too. Not only that, and it's, um, if there was one thing I clung to uh, in terms of, I, I don't know, I was going to say like broad agreement or something. If there was one societal thing I thought was intriguing, maybe coming from education myself, it mm-hmm. was the whole conceit of, I mean, their whole society's, fun- they basically worship children as well. It's motherhood worship and kind of like child worship. Like, yeah. They, they said they're, they've restructured everything to be comfortable for the kids, which again, we, our societal structure and most in the world that I'm aware of is the opposite. It's like we slowly force kids to fit how a, a current adults live. And, you know, it's, it's the idea of like, think of, um, think of a house where a person, where a kid lives. It's like, you have to childproof the house in this society. It's like we, the house is just for the child and we work around that. Like literally right. everything is for them and we will just make do with whatever, doesn't or whatever works for them we're just going to make do right Uh, and so i think there you know in terms of how that relates to us in a practical way i think there's interesting montessorial ideas and and curiosity and let them explore i just again i I don't know and again i think the story and the structure and the narrative just just paper over by saying like they've got to figure it out shoulder shrug like they're doing it it's not there's no conflict to explore here travis why it's like why are you poking at this but I just couldn't help but read it that way. I couldn't help but sit there and think, can I just get a scene? Can I get can I get a half chapter on like show me some of that play? Show, it, again, so many so much of it is just summarized where mm-hmm. it's like, no, they they did it. It's no big deal. Like it, this is it's what it is. And I think in a utopian story, I think that's just how the storytelling is presented. Yeah. And and I think she actually begins the utopian society in a very typical way too, which is like there's it seems like violence is what brings about and begins that utopian society right in in everything mm-hmm. it's like there's got to be in star trek even right the the way that the federation is formed is after the the after world war three when everybody was like wow that really sucked why do we keep fighting each other and then they decide to like create right, a federation right. right so it's like in this novel too the the thing that caused their society to uh become a utopian society aside from like you know, having a mother that like is the Virgin Mary is that right. uh, the men were killed off in a war. Like, yeah, they were and they, warring and against that, each other. Only, yeah, they just murdered yeah, each other. <laughs> there were only, and they made a point of that, too, that the their descendants or the, their ancestors were only concubines and slaves. Yeah. And that those were the only survivors of the whatever the conflict was. Right. And so that's what they, yeah, that's like their origin story to put it in a crude kind of way. Yeah. What other quotes stood out to you? Any other syntactical things we should explore here? Sure. Um, so we were talking a bit about her style and um, and how short, like how quickly she can get through a thing. So this one really yeah. stood out to me. Um, it was built most, and she's describing the, uh, she, I mean, Van is describing um, the city. It was built mostly of a sort of dull rose colored stone with here and there some clear white houses and it lay abroad among the green groves and gardens like a broken rosary of pink coral. Mm -hmm. I think that's, it brings to mind like it's very clear and it's descriptive and I like the simile and 
also it's uh it also points out the some of the religious overtones right the the rosary and the, the mm-hmm. garden right it's a it's a the entire country is described as a garden it's an eden of sorts right which yeah. then ties into the idea of like motherhood being um uh, godly and their religion but yeah i just that's a really nice description it was short and to the point you get a good idea of what it's like there and you also get a little bit of her of the taste of like the religion that she sprinkles throughout um her novel and i think too just thematically speaking that accomplishes another thing which in its imagery and you're right about the eden comparisons there it's rife with that kind of the the like nature purity of it is very clear and mm-hmm. it's very ripe with that stuff and it it underscores the th- important thematic element which is like they have they literally like reshaped the geography of this nation right. to the point of like they only have fruit trees or something or like they completely reforested the whole land <laughs> or so it's like if it is a garden of eden which i think is the right comparison they are literally the gods or goddesses like right. whatever term you want to use like mm-hmm. they are the they the they the mothers of this land have basically reforged themselves as godlike then right. which makes the worship um make a lot of sense because they they figured it out like they were able to reconstruct the literal land that they're on even and they even do you know they they through their i guess like science or something economics they figured out population control and they figured out like their production. This is where we can get back to some of those maybe Marx type ideas or whatever, but like they figured out the exact line of production they need for Mm -hmm. food. And they, they of course, uh, again, utopian work here. So feel free to roll your eyes or not, but they're also sitting in a microclimate that is apparently impenetrable and perfect and also suffers no weather. It doesn't seem like it would be possible for them to have famine, I guess, just based on the, the way their land is positioned and everything. So it's, yeah, again, in a utopian story that makes those decisions make sense. But I think, yeah, that's a great detail to pick up on because it does underscore that they not only does it remind us of our own, some religious traditions, but yeah, they, they are truly in command of their own. Yeah. And, and they do like, they do have some extreme climates, right? They say in the North that there's like snow, right? but that every piece of land is, both beautified, right? It's important to make it look good, but it's all mm-hmm. useful. So yeah, all the trees are either fruit trees or berry trees or something or nut trees. Everything has a purpose and everything uh, is tied into their sense of community like that too. The, and nature is very much a part of their community, their sense of community. Well, and you mentioned ideas about community and I think that draws to my mind ideas of... um like homogeneity or, or, mm-hmm. or sameness in their personalities and civilization and just the society. There's a quote here from our antagonistic figure, Terry, and he at some point insults the the, the women in the society by saying, uh, oh, well, of course, if you like a perpetual Sunday school, it's all very well. But I like, and these words are in capitals, I like something doing. Here it's all done. Which I think, in a way, I never thought I'd want to connect with Terry, my God, who in the story is really loathsome. And by the way, the story concludes with him attempting a rape. So it's like, I, in no way do I want to associate myself with him. Right. Here's what I'll say, though. That quote is not a bad way I feel about the, just the structure of this whole story, where it's like, mm-hmm. you're presenting to me a narrative, but that has no narrative in it. Kind of, again, with, with some ex- with exceptions. That's maybe right. a bit harsh. So it's like his whole critique is there's nothing for me to do here. It's all done. And I think, you know, he has such an, a, a 
aggressive reaction against that. Yeah. I don't think my reaction to the story was nearly like his, but I did find myself craving that. And I think the, the kind of sameness of some of it, and even of the, of the women and the characters, like it's, there's no, did you find them to have personality? Did you, I found their characters to be in this, in the same language, like all done like it. And they're all done in the same way, I guess it, it just felt, they felt very flat to me, the whole thing, the whole construction. Well, I, yeah, I think that was to, to highlight the homogeneity of the, of the yeah. society. Like they, even Elador versus Celis or Celis versus Ella. What is Terry's girl's name? Alamar? Ala? It's a great Alima. question. And I don't, don't remember, but yes, we're going with that. <laughs> I think it's Alima. Um, yeah. But yeah. they, like, I don't know the difference really between the three, except perhaps Alima, I remember was the one that like, at the beginning is the one that was like giggling in the most forward of the three, but yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the only difference really we get uh, among the women is, is actually from Terry's perspective where he calls them like women, right. The, the matrons versus Mm -hmm. the girls and girls to him just means like the ones that he's attracted to. So (laughs) like that was the only difference really that was highlighted uh, among the women. Yeah, it it felt uh, purposefully completely because it's the society is presented as such a a perfectly utopian community, perfectly rounded out and perfectly balancing itself. That I think again, yeah, you you nailed it. It's all intentional, and so maybe my again my reaction against it is is kind of the whole point. I, these stories, utopian tales, are, are constructed in this way on purpose. So it yeah. could be, again, my, my like genre expectations, uh, false genre expectations. I have one quote that I want to get in before we wrap up the quotes and then I'll, I'll leave it to you to clear us out. But I did have one that I just think in terms of like, uh, 2020 connections, playfulness or, or something that like a modern reader would like grab onto as like an entertaining detail. Mm-hmm. I pulled this one and it was, um, that quote, it took some time to make clear to those three sweet faced women, the process which robs the cow of her calf. They're explaining how they eat meat in in America and how these women, by the way, are only vegans, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They don't even, they don't even have animals for labor. I don't think. Yeah. They have zero animals except for cats. Yeah. And it, what, yeah, God, that was, you're right. Absolutely perfect. By the way, it's, um, we'll, we'll let you in on that one, Amanda, uh, briefly. You love your cats dearly. So I, I do. respect that and we'll let you explain it to the people. But anyway, so there's just no, and I think they also ran out of room was their other justification. Yeah. Was it, yeah, ju- was it just it. took up, yeah. Like, um, what's the verb for raising animals? What, what word can I think of? Husbandry, I suppose. Husbandry. Yeah, yeah. The husbandry of the animals would take up too much space. Yeah, anyway, they said it was so not efficient. Yeah. And so they're explain the men are explaining how they still eat animals. And it says, um, they rob the, the cow of her calf and the calf of its true food. And the talk led us into a further discussion of the meat business. They heard it out looking very white and presently begged to be excused. And so it's another moment where, get back to a criticism I said earlier, I would love for the story to follow them. Like, show me, what do they think? What do they, it it seems like whenever they're presented with some kind of sorrow or sadness or any troublesome thing brought into their world, the narrator being the man and it just doesn't, is not privy to it. It, And just like the story just lets them leave and just lets them go. Like, 
show me her talking to their, cause they do have like churches or temples where there are these wise mothers there. Yeah. Like show me that conversation. I don't know. Again, this is, um, this could be just me complaining needlessly about the genre, but I, there were enough hints there where I'm like, Oh, they, they finally found something to like debate or butt up against. And too many times, I think for me, it, it left it empty. And I, not, that is not to say they don't explore the differences between the societies or explain the conventions or how it functions. I mean, it's, it's a dense in the sense of like, there's paragraphs of explanation. That's basically the whole thing is explaining history and how it functions and the jobs and yeah, and all that. But I think there's very little inner life from the women, which is an odd thing to say about a novel promoting like the sanctity and glory of, of women, I guess. Yeah. Even, well, we know that there's gotta be, um, as far as like our meta thinking, like we know that there's gotta be some conflict because they do have those temples set up specifically for talking yeah. about your feelings. Right. Of and course. Right. Elidor at one point is jealous of Celis, Right. And tells, um, tells she's going to be a mother. Right. So tells yeah. Van like, Oh, I was jealous of, of her, but then like, you know, I sat down and thought about it and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Like, I'm so happy for it. It's not right for me because I'm going to go with you like all these things, but they, yeah, I think that it would be interesting to explore uh, how they deal with those negative emotions. Do those negative right. emotions only happen because now they have like a masculine figure who's bringing these, these sorrows to them is like what, like, mm. yeah, that that would be interesting, but I don't know that that would necessarily fit in with the novel novel's purpose. Of course. Yeah. 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 And I think as soon as you introduce, if I were allowed to interject stuff like that, you know, that's what I want. I don't even know if it becomes utopian novel at that point. Right. I, I suppose. I guess here, can I, I'm going to phrase this question to you, though we're off script now, but, and feel free to get back to your quote too. I don't mean to distract too much. No. Is it a utopia, though, if you can't write that stuff in? Or I guess it is. It's literally utopia. I get, I get that. I know the definition. But it. I guess what I'm saying is, it, does the novel allow it to be tested? And if it can't be tested, can it be a utopia then? Is it even human if we can't test it? Like, I guess the whole point or, or how the book would get at this is like, it was tested 3,000 years ago, and now right. it's been 3,000 years of slow perfection. I guess that's the answer, right? Which, right. Um, you can find that satisfying or not, but I guess just in terms of the narrative, I don't mind the presentation of utopia, but prove to me it's a utopia. Did you feel that this book proved anything? I feel like it told me a lot of stuff. It told me, it told me everything. Well, I mean, not actually not everything, but it told me a lot, but did it prove anything to you uh, it, in its narrative construction, not in terms of its sociology or psychology or ideas? Yeah, no, I don't. I can't say. I mean, it's already like things that I already f like uh, the importance of education, the importance of community, the importance of like working yeah. together, all these things that I already believe in. Like I was very ready to believe in in sure. all of that in the novel. But as far as like getting rid of men and and just like deifying myself as a mother, like those are things that I was like, eh. I don't know that that's yeah. actually great because I mean, there's obviously there's got to be some strife there if they have these wise women specifically for troubled minds, yeah. right? There's there's got to be something. Well, and I think, and again, I I 
don't know how to phrase, I'm going to phrase this, try and be broad about it, but I don't even mean in terms of, again, in terms of the ideas that we could extrapolate and then like write social theory about. Cause I think I agree with you. A lot of these things are, we're already checklisting things for me. Um, like the, the unique position of motherhood. Like, do I, do I deify it? Like, no, frankly, but I, it's also such a unique thing that brings with it unique burdens and benefit. Like I, there's already these ideas that it was kind of checking off for me anyway. And, and you're right. Things about education and, and trying to make children more curious than like rotely educated there. It hit a lot of things for me too. I, I just meant as like a literary, as a narrative construct, mm-hmm. it was just a lot of, of shove this in your face. And then again, as a story didn't feel alive to me at, at a lot of the time. Um, and again, that's just a narrative thing. And it's how I get back to, um, let me try and bring this to a, a current or modern connection. It's again, that, that this happens a lot in sci-fi. Yeah. If you're interested in physics, then you can become a physicist. Like that's a thing and you can do it. And it's like a deeply interesting philosophical thing at this point too. And there's crazy quantum, whatever, whatever. Like that's not why you write a book or a story. I don't, I just, there's such a disconnect there with me as someone who again, really likes kind of sci-fi stuff. To me, I again call it like the textbookification of a story. Like this felt to me that way where it's like, now granted in her time, could she have been a sociologist? She did write nonfiction. Uh, and one of the academic things I'll pull from later, she wrote some, uh, a couple, like an essay or something about um, women in the economy. And so like, yeah, she dabbled. So, okay, fair point taken. Um, she wrote that stuff. But why turn it into a novel? I just think I always have to pose that question. I think this story failed on those grounds. Some, a lot of the time for me, it failed. Uh, granted, was it like a bad read? Like, not at all. I just... There's something about shoving ideas in your face in the way that this book did it that I just don't get. I feel like there has to be subtlety to it and complexity. I don't know if this, and again, it could be a utopian genre thing, but I don't know if the story had it. Um, I didn't mean to go on such a long tangent there. I know I just said like a hundred things, but that that's kind of where my thinking is at with it. Where I and that's why I asked that broad question too of like, did this succeed on those terms as a narrative? So what? I knew that it was a utopian read, right? I mean, it says it, it says Herland, a lost feminist utopian novel, right? Like, yeah. So yeah, I knew yeah. that it was a utopian read and therefore I knew that there were going to be a lot of like things shoved at me as far as like ideas. But I think that course, she yeah. did try to tie in a narrative thread from the beginning with the idea of like the, the question of why doesn't this narrator have his notes? What happened that he has lost all this stuff and he has to recall all this information from memory so that right, that right. figuring out which i mean from once you meet terry you can pretty generally guess what's gonna happen <laughs> right yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but and, i think that that was the the narrative thread that she was using in order to pull us through and it you could almost look at it like the description of the society and stuff is all like a background and it's all building up to Terry's offense and why it was just so offensive to them and why it was immediately like, right. Get the fuck out of here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that that is so. And also like in chapter five, when she talks about like how it's this, this story is not uh, necessarily full of adventure, but is more of like, about the mentality of these women and stuff like i was right. i was a bit more forgiving i suppose in that sense and I, I i haven't read any other utopian works necessarily i mean i've read dystopian obviously yeah, um yeah but not 
utopian. So I wasn't quite sure, like, is this like a common thing? Do like the other utopian novels attempt a narrative thread like that? Or do they just straight up like the only two I can recall? The only two I can recall encountering one is by Huxley and it's called Island or I think it's called Paradise Island. It's either Island or Paradise Island a million times more dense, uh, not in a complimentary way, by the way, it's just much harder to read and has like a billion ideas in it about ecology and like na- natural balance and yada, yada. I found it mostly unreadable, but I tried to suffer through it. Cause I was at the time was like curious about more of Huxley's cause I brave new world stuff. And right. And I, I, my reaction to it was just that I was kind of bored by it. I, I don't remember. I think structurally it had more of a conflict in it, but I, can't tell you and then there's of course is it was it thomas moore who wrote utopia yeah. i had to read that in college and that was that's like this one it, it's there yeah the whole purpose of the genre is it is like a trojan horse for whatever ideas the author has and granted perhaps that's all fiction perhaps all fiction is just ways to present an author's ideas and that's fine i kind of agree with that it's like here's a slice of my brain and i'm going to turn it into a story yeah but i just think the i, I always will value the turning it into a story part more right. than the what cool ideas about philosophy or science or psychology. Like I, those are of course bedrocks to what you write about, but you could always just tell me that in a brief essay type way. And right. I just don't get why I put in the effort to do it this way, unless you invest in the, the structure you placed it inside of. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's just something I get very nitpicky about. It's also the reason why, like I've always loathed Anne Rand and always will. Like she wrote some of the worst fiction I've ever read, like <laughs> m- unreadable garbage. And it's like, if you want to be a, what was her thing? Obje- it's like the glorious self-interest, whatever it's called, a objectification. I forgot what the term is that she kind of really you know, promoted or whatever. You believe in the philosophy if you want to, go, whatever. But like, don't tell me Atlas Shrugged is a must read. My God, like spare me. That's trash. Like she <laughs> she could not write fiction, man. It's so bad. You just cannot argue that it's like readable or good. It's like a character doing an 80 page speech saying the same circular arguments. It's like, come on, that's not a story. That's That's an author running away and like getting way out of hand with their views like jesus yeah <laughs> anyway um that's just i i don't know i have a harsh reaction i think my reaction to this was somewhere in the middle like i i think you and i we press pause on this pod this is behind the scenes or whatever but i i slumped like about halfway through i took two weeks and like just didn't read this because i just kind of found myself grinding to a halt with it mm-hmm. um it was not insufferable to finish, and I thought parts of it were, of course, interesting, well written. It narratively kind of got moving in spots. Whatever, you know. Overall, I felt very kind of um, in the middle about it by the end. But anyway, that was kind of my negative reaction time. Sorry to go on the tangent. You're good. Were there any <laughs> final quotes before we get into some uh, some critical assistance at the end? Any no. quotes that you had that we should discuss? I'm, I'm good. Oh, cool. Let's transition right into critical assistance. Then this is where we end the pod with expertise. Um, We are, of course, not professional experts, just casual kind. So we're going (laughs) to resort to some kind of criticism here. We're going to resort to going to some academics or uh, writers, critics, book reviewers, whatever we find um, in our research. Do you want to start with yours? You can read the quote or you can describe it however you want to do it, but we both pulled some quotes from people who have criticism about the work. Yeah. So I pulled mine. uh, My copy of the novel actually has an introduction um cool. from a writer um and it was written in 1979 
So that tells you. Um, (laughs) So this is what she said. Um, The mission of a utopia is to provide a speculative vision of the desired goal of human existence. Most utopias create new social structures to embody those ends. Gilman's concern, however, is primarily with human consciousness, what the people will look like and do, how and why they are different and better. The physical world is a natural creation of these new people. Utopias often suffer from from what Lewis Mumford calls externalism, the idea that human institutions are so many straitjackets that cunning rulers had devised to control their communities. Utopian works often assume that these institutions can be changed without explaining how it is possible, not literally possible, but humanly comprehensible. So I, I, I thought this hmm. is interesting because this is a utopian novel, but this uh, person, um, Anne, L, Anne, J, Anne J. Lane, um, she seems to think that uh, this novel is is like utopian plus, like it's, it's interesting. different from other utopian novels. And I think uh, the part of that quote I was kind of chewing on was, does this suffer from externalism? Mm. I think in its own writing, no, because she clearly explains how it got out of the institutions. Like it it clearly explained how those things were overcome and were avoided. I am still not convinced, like as an out, this is weird because this is me like projecting my self into the narrative or whatever, but I'm still not convinced that there's enough answers in here like they still have, it seems like pretty rigid institutions in the story mm-hmm. that disallow certain things that I was wondering, like, what about this? Wouldn't they have this reaction? Don't do like, why don't they think this? Um, and that could just be, again, be me projecting. But I think the answer in the story, maybe it's simpler than I want it to be. I don't know. Maybe that's my issue with it because it does have an answer. The answer is the motherhood instinct is is so strong that it's enveloped their whole society. They've, they're all worshiping that. They have total communal, and they it's a total communal basis for everything. And right. that's basically it. Like that, that those are the answers I think for most of the questions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think put up against that criticism, I think it does okay. Like it. What do you mean by the plus again? Could you expand on that? What is the plus element here? The plus element in that uh, she seems to think that uh, she gives examples of the three other well-known utopian novels. So she mentions Thomas More's uh, Utopia and Plato's Republic. And um, that's an interesting one that I have also read that I could maybe lightly comment on. Anyway, keep going. And uh, who was, who's the last one? Bacon. Um, Somebody bacon. (laughs) Sir Francis. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to find it here. Here it is. It's okay. Plato's Republic, Thomas More's Utopia, or Francis Bacon's New at- yeah. Atlantis. Of course, yeah. The old, old Sir Francis Bacon. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so so with Plato's, um, she's saying that it's all about discipline and justice and built on uh, the idea that the society that he's living in at that time is pretty close to perfect, just, you know, got to tweak it a little bit, right? Um, and then mm-hmm. Thomas More's, uh, Utopia and Bacon's New Atlantis, uh, they're com- creating, I'm using a quote here, um, yeah. attempt to alter society greatly, which is the opposite of Plato, to create fresh institutions and relationships and introduce entirely different habits, uh, but without actually like explaining 
like necessarily how it comes about, but just that it right. it, it came about. Um, so yeah, the fair. utopian plus is for the way that I saw her quote and, and what she was saying about Gilman's novel here is that she, because she is able to avoid that externalism, right? And to avoid um, just glossing over like how the society became utopian, it makes it more, I think what she's trying to say is more believable and more, like she says here, not literally possible, but humanly comprehensible where, oh, okay. So these ideals, maybe we won't get to it, right? I mean, the idea of like the virgin birth um, of motherhood, that's not necessarily like literally possible, but it makes it more comprehensible about like the, the ideas that she's expressing it. It's more relatable and more believable in that way. Yeah, that's, I think I, okay. I think I stood comfortably with that and the thoughts on the Republic, this granted I'm calling this or I'm pulling this from my, for deep memory now. Cause I was like sophomore year of college. I had to read that, but that sounds like it fits. Cause you're right. That, that was more of a description of like, he has this whole concept of a philosopher king who can kind of be objective and, and oversee with wisdom and yada yada. It yeah. definitely fit more into like, you know, the Greek life he was living at the time. Right. So that I think that, you know, in that description, I guess it holds up. Right. And the utopian tradition is, I think, I mean, you've said this and I'm, I probably have implied it or said it, too, but it's just not a literary tradition I know very well and yeah. have never been exposed. And it's and it's basically dead. Like we've been describing this whole pod. It's it's not something that if you go to the Barnes and Noble, well, I, it's coronavirus time. You're probably never going to go to the Barnes and Noble again. <laughs> if you go to the if you go to a bookseller's website and search for things, uh, if you go to Wikipedia and search for book titles or whatever, um, you will probably not find a new hot bestseller that is utopia. That just is not a thing that is alive currently yeah, in, in literature. Not. And one of the things that um, we didn't really get to talk about was um, Gilman is like, she was super interested in um, marrying uh, feminism with socialism. She believed that the two needed sure, to yeah. work together. And we could see that like in her utopian society, it's very much based on, um, socialism uh but she she felt that in order for either one of those two ideals to be realized it they had to work together and i think that was her her purpose in in writing this this novel that's fair okay yeah we didn't dig into that but hey you know we mentioned marx a couple times that counts that's clear you know that's it's in the (laughs) same uh wheelhouse i want to pull one i pulled one other critical analysis quote i'm going to skip one there was a guardian kind of blog from 2015 that was it's one of those things that kind of when I when I even thought of doing this pod, it was the kind of thing that drives me, I was going to say drives me crazy, too strong of wording, but it's a type of writing where I clicked it because it was like, hey, we should, here's this Herland story, it's really worth knowing. But 75% of it was about this uh, woman's experience, which was well-written and interesting. But it's like, she didn't analyze the book, really. It, mm. She gives like a couple quotes. It's just, it's the wrong balance for, for me, for what right. I want to read. It's like, if I click on your article about Herland, give me at least 50 50 like and tell me how your experience informs your reading but then like give me some deep dive and it, anyway it was a fine read but i'm gonna skip that quote instead i'm going i went to like jstor and found an academic article i knew there would be nice. some some published stuff about this just because of how much how well known perkins gilman is and there was there's plenty of it 
this is one that I pulled this to be fair. This is like a 36 page academic thing published. I think like Arizona quarterly or something by Kristen Carter Sanborn. I read the first half very diligently, the back half, not as much. So I, but I only pulled one quote anyway. Um, a lot of good, got a lot of good, interesting scholarship in there. Um, it's always weird like speaking a foreign language to go back and read something like that. It took me like at least 10 minutes to just get my brain in the right gear. You know, mm-hmm. I had to like turn off my music just to even pay enough attention kind of a thing. Yeah. And anyway, this is the quote I wanted to read. Uh, she says, on the other hand, the natural outcome, so to speak of ingestion, excretion or expulsion distresses her distresses Gilman. She means, first of all, it implies inefficiency, a perfect economy like that of her land consumes and converts all resources with no waste into productive, energetic, useful people. The bodies of this people then are so closely allied with natural processes that their embodiment ironically disappears, transforming into something like the fabric of society, the principle of growth or the spirit of production. The ideal feminist then is a bodiless agent who disavows her agency by disowning her body or living in prosthetic relation to it. And I don't know, given the story's own narrative and things, I don't know if I can go so far as to say disavow because they they are explicitly allowed to choose to be mothers or not. Right now, what they're not allowed to do though is do any have any aberrant behavior in, within the society. Like right, and again, that's the kind of thing where that there was that quiet quote I pulled, and that's the kind of thing that just prickled me throughout reading this where it was just kind of like yeah but what do you do with with a a person who flagrantly disagrees or something like they just never showed that work um maybe on purpose so to me it's more of like the prosthetic relation to it where i don't know if these I, i mean i guess they are presented as deeply content and like deeply satisfied in a utopian way but i think there's a critique of agency in here and i think that she put it well there and that is probably as well as you know better than i could put it for sure i just think there is a lack of agency here that i thought was kind of alarming at times though it is subtle you know cuz everything is so rosy and all questions get answered so i think to come into critique you almost have to be you have to have that academic lens on or kind of like a deep reading lens cuz it's a story where an author's presenting everything is wrapped up right. as everything is complete um, which I thought that was a great quote. And then I did want to add this one on too, because crucially, uh, she does mention evidence from her, uh, from our land, the sequel. And this is the the quote I pulled. You mentioned this earlier about the race stuff. Yeah. <laughs> she mentions here, um, the academic mentions here, the United States is figured as a goutish body that ingests uncontrollably with no means of excretion, which by the way, is I think a great poetic description of the United States. Fair. <laughs> fair. A dark parody of the eth- ethereally pregnant Herlander. Elidor suggests that the cure for America's indiscriminate overindulgence is racial and ideological homogeneity, which... Yeah, that quote seemed direct from the text, basically. And I think that conflict, now granted, the racism doesn't intrigue me, but the conflict between Elidor and how she prescribes solutions to our corrupted world or Mm -hmm. our broken world, that is the thing that propels me to want to read at least a chapter of the next book. At least give me, just let me see if that narrative hooks me more or just pushes me forward or something because i even reading that made me think yeah i want to like what what else does she say what else does she come up with does she have any other broad thoughts about the the americas in the 1900s or something well yeah i think that would be really interesting because it actually gives more insight into the mentality of of that utopian society right like how would you fix it well that maybe that's based on like how they fix certain things right so of course it would definitely be interesting to see it would be a, a more of a glimpse into the mentality of the people for sure 
Yeah, and I think I look back at the quote. I'm just rereading it because it's as with many of these things, it's like you have to reread these quotes to dig into certain right. I don't know ideas. But I'm looking back, and it's like that perfect economy consumes and converts all resources with no waste. And I that another there's another aspect of the society as it was portrayed that was remarkable, but also just felt inhuman to me. Right. It's like, you know, what, what human now granted in the story, they presented it as, as um, one of the male characters said something like, you know, they're all Christian. Right. And so they say things like, there's no sin here. Like, how did you get rid of sin? How is that even possible? Mm -hmm. Like it's in a human interest. Let's just take the human language or let's take the religious language out of that. But I would pose a similar question. Like there's no vice, really? There's no compulsion to, to any vice at all or any, rule breaking i guess maybe again the, the way that their education happens maybe that stuff can be psychologically tampered out in childhood in, in a sense where if you're so contented as a child and you're so in harmony with everything that yeah perhaps that stuff is that deep seated and it just fades away or something but i there's something about the 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 lack of i don't know the the lack of waste that felt and again, maybe it's just utopian. Yeah, I wish I could articulate it as well as she did. But that's I, th- I think those are interesting ideas to chew on if you decide to read this or if you read this. Yeah, I hadn't even like really thought about the fact that there's like there's no mention of trash. That everything is completely clean and just uh, there's nothing there to indicate that they have any kind of waste at all. I hadn't even picked up on that. So I think that's that's an interesting way to to approach the reading. Yeah, and I, and I think too, I was interpreting it, well, there's that, but I was interpreting it too in, in terms of like me- mental waste. There's yeah. no person in the story who's Everybody just like, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to work this job anymore. And they do mention that they, they there's lifelong education. There's just curiosity that they build in. They let people switch. To, you know, th- there's, again, there is, I don't want to present this story. Um, if you've been listening to this and haven't read it, like it's, it has answers. It really does. It, it's not, I you know, the most thorough thing, but it's thorough. And so I didn't come away feeling confused, but there's enough questions left unanswered that it did bother me, I think. Um, And it did seem maybe too perfectly efficient, but maybe that's a well-written utopia, Amanda. Maybe that's the takeaway here. That is, yeah. (laughs) And I think, too, we've mentioned the sequel, Hourland, a couple times. I might dig in. I I would say, at this point, 0% chance we follow up with a book club on that. But, you know, maybe it's worth a couple texts back and forth between uh, you and me. Yeah, I would love to read it. Yeah, I'll I'll check that one out and then report back. Before we wrap up on the Herland Book Club episode, Amanda, do you have any final thoughts, quotes you want to discuss, topics you want to throw out there, heady questions that we somehow did not address in the in the pod? No, I'm I'm good. I I okay. would definitely recommend this to anybody who's like interested in reading an actual utopian novel versus the usual dystopian. So yeah, hell, you know what, too, because I and I know we mentioned this already, but if you if your exposure to Utopia is zero, this is a great first one to start with. It's brief, readable, yeah. and hits you with a bunch of ideas. It'll make you think, you know, about things. It certainly provoked in me a lot of um, just yeah ideas about not only just what I think about feminism, but you know, a successful human life, a community that runs well, and what that would even mean to me, and 
what it would look like. So in that sense, it's rich and it, it provoked in me those important questions. So, and, and you can still see than, the mastery yeah. of her, of her language use too, right? Like her style still shines. Yeah. Through. So if I you like so. her style, it's, it's very much in keeping with how she writes her short stories. I really miss the narrative voice. I, yeah. the yellow wallpapers is so strong because she's like having a psychotic break. So the narrative voice is like just so poignant there. Yeah. I, I, I again look at like the whole construction of this, it seems like on purpose is she chose the middle of the road man to narrate it to, to give the most even keel presentation. And I just kept wondering, like, what if one of the other guys was the narrator here? I granted you'd get it would be so skewed, but to me, that. I kind of want that extremity presented because mm-hmm. I just think it would make for better narrative play. Yeah. But I, you know, that's again just me projecting my what I would want. As it was, I think we covered it quite thoroughly. Then, um, yeah. thanks for so much for joining, Amanda. This was a treat. We mentioned finishing at an hour and a half. Hey, look, we did it. It's perfect. <laughs> Yay! We're, in in Herland tradition, we will wrap this up perfectly. It was a flawless episode <laughs> with zero errors. There's absolutely no editing I have to do. It's just an absolute gem of a pod. And uh, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode of the Brothers Book Club podcast. It was, again, a book club episode. Who knows when the next book club will be? If you want book reviews or recommendations, that is the current weekly show we've been putting out there we've been doing uh, the little black classics penguin collection and so yeah you can check in with us every week for a book review check out our instagram which is the stumped that is the name of our website as well and that is just the stump.com and yeah follow us on instagram we post pictures and art for all the reviews and yeah we appreciate you listening until next time we will see you between the classics to be fair that ending doesn't make sense for this episode maybe i'll cut that oh well